this one, it just made me so invested in 12th century nuns, which is not something I'd ever <laughs> Not something say. you thought you'd say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Vogel, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 339. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, your junior book lovers are just a few weeks away from having my new reading journal, My Reading Adventures, in their hands. That also means there's only a few more weeks to claim those pre-order bonuses. When you order My Reading Adventures before August 2nd, you get an instant book list and reading guide and we'll mail your young reader coordinating stickers because book mail is the best mail. Order wherever you get your books, then visit modernmrsdarcy.com slash kidsjournal to claim those bonuses. That's modernmrsdarcy.com slash kidsjournal. Readers, today's guest, Adrienne Cordes, recently completed grad school. For a long time now, she has been looking forward to devoting plenty of newly freed up time to reading. But she unexpectedly ran into a problem. Adrienne has realized she's not the same reader she used to be. Her tastes have changed. She no longer loves what she used to love. She wasn't expecting this to happen, and she is not sure what to do next. This is especially disorienting because Adrienne has always identified as a reader. She had a, it sounds like a storybook childhood, literally. She read in libraries everywhere while her mother worked as a puppeteer at those summer reading programs. She practically grew up in the library. But now she can't find the right books and she no longer feels like herself because of it. She'd love to rekindle that childhood reading magic and get some clarity about the types of books that suit the reader she is today. My mission is to help Adrienne clarify what books are right for her right now and to welcome her into the next stage of her reading life. Let's get to it. Adrienne, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. Listeners, we put out a call to our What Should I Read Next Patreon community not that long ago and said that we were seeking to help readers work through their summer reading. Struggle sounds kind of heavy, but we want, <laughs> we want to help you all make the most of your precious summer reading minutes. And sometimes there are some real practical obstacles that stand in your way. So we wanted to help a few listeners work through those issues. And Adrian, thank you for raising your hand there. I honestly was very shocked to um, have my submission be chosen. It's my first time ever submitting. And, you know, obviously I've thought about it for a long time, but this is really the perfect opportunity to hopefully to solve my little problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned it doesn't feel like such a little problem in your life. I mean, it sounded like an identity crisis, basically. <laughs> it is roughly. <laughs> we'll get to that more in a moment. But first, mm -hmm. readers, that submission we're talking about, you can find that form at what should I read next podcast.com slash guest. We're always happy to read your submissions to come on the show. That's how we get the majority of our listeners. And we always say that timing is everything. Okay, Adrian. So you used to be an avid traveler living all over in South Korea, Russia, France, Taiwan. You even worked on a cruise ship. Now you're settled in Denver. We are here to talk about your reading life right now. But to begin, would you give me a little insight into what reading has meant to you over the years. I guess I'll start from the beginning. I 
grew up as a reader. My parents are avid readers, um, primarily fantasy. My mom also is really into mysteries, which is, that's what I'm reading a lot now. And I'm also watching a lot of like British murder mysteries on TV. And I'm like, wow, it's the, the morph, I'm morphing into her. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always followed their example. I also had a kind of Another influence, when I was early middle school, okay, so I hated summer camp. I just like wanted to sit alone and read. But of course, at summer camp, you're not allowed to do that. Um, So my mom decided to kind of pursue a dream of hers to become a puppeteer. A lot of listeners are probably aware there are things called summer reading programs and local libraries hire performers, uh, musicians, magicians, and yes, puppeteers to come up with a show that goes around this summer reading theme. My own kids were very fond of Mr. Magic here in Kentucky. We followed him all over the city for the various summer reading performances. So that was your mom doing puppet shows. Yes. Um, She does music and puppets. My parents are both musicians as well. They have, you know, full-time jobs, but they've always um, had a band going. Instead of forcing me to go to summer camp, my mom was nice enough to bring me to all the libraries across New Hampshire, Northern and Central Mass, Massachusetts, and Southern Maine. And it was great. I saw some beautiful libraries, of course. And I did like sometimes participate in the shows, you know, help my mom load up stuff. And if music needed to be played during a performance, I would, you know, hit play. And then, you know, while she was doing her thing, I would kind of just sit in the back and read. And obviously what like more of a perfect place than at a cute little library. That was a big part of my life. And also my parents being musicians brought to to gigs and to practice. And I would just usually sit in the corner and and read. And of course, I loved Wishbone as a kid. Really informed my, my love of classics. Certainly my love of Pride and Prejudice. It was, yeah, a great childhood soon as later middle school hit. I read a lot of my, I'd say, formative books. I recently read something someone posted on um, Instagram that if I really like a book, it's five stars. But if I really like it, it becomes a part of my personality. And I feel like late middle school, early high school was really hit that sweet spot. The His Dark Materials series, which I know is divisive on your show, that is a big part of my life. Like I've still never read it. I'm a big fan also of, of traveling to, to different locations that I see in books. So were my favorite movies. But when I went to Oxford, I went to the Botanic Gardens. And if you've read it, you know. Well, that brings me to my, my other formative uh, read, Pride and Prejudice, of course. So besides Wishbone, my mom, we rented the VHS tapes of the 1995 Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth, who is um, the best, Mr. Darcy. Yeah, became obsessed. Then I read Pride and Prejudice and I read all the Jane Austens. Did I understand all of it? No, but I loved it. <laughs> That's my history of reading. I, I used to, oh gosh, like tear through classics. Like I read the Foresight Saga. I don't, to be honest, I don't know why. It was a big commitment for like someone fairly young. And also fantasy, of course, very big Lord of the Rings. But now fantasy isn't doing it for me like it it once did. It used to be just like my only genre of choice. I slowly branched out to romance through audiobooks, Georgette Hare and the Richard Armitage narration kind of snowballed and that was a big phase. Yeah, and now kind of branching off into cozy mysteries, but I'm kind of I'm kind of looking for my book genre touchstone that used to be fantasy and you know obviously I still enjoy it but looking back in in my reading 
none of them have really touched me or stuck with me the way that they used to. And, you know, I don't know if it's because I've read all my favorites when I was so young. That's why they're, they're stuck with me. But it's a little disconcerting when, you know, your favorites don't work for you like you expected them to. I was really struck by how you said that since you finished school, your reading life has changed for the worse, which is not at all what you expected. You told us that you assumed you'd get to read every free minute after work and that you would finally get to read as much as you felt like you wanted to, when you wanted Mm -hmm. to, whatever you wanted to. You can hear it in my voice, listeners. But Adrian, tell us more about how it's actually gone for you. I, you know, I always listen to the people, the guests on your show that say, you know, they don't have time to read like children and other important responsibilities. And I bet they're, they're listening to me and rolling their eyes real hard right now. I mean, that's kind of what, what got me through the, you know, last couple of months of my, my capstone project for school was just thinking about, okay, when this is done, when this is done, I'll finally have free time. I can do what I want. You know, now I finally have like a stable, like great job that I love. I finally live alone and I really have no excuse. So I'm just not living up to my, my own expectations. So as soon as I finished school, I was kind of, you know, drained. I hadn't really watched TV in like years. So I find I honestly did that for a lot of December. So I go around my apartment. I own a lot of books. Let's, let's just be clear. I like go through, pick the ones I want to read for the year. And that's a a loose TBR. There are about 50 on them. And I have a special bookshelf next to my bed where I put all those. So object impermanence cannot strike. You know, those are books I really want to read. At least I thought, and I just haven't really been picking them up. They're not grabbing me as I thought they would. I don't know. I just have such high expectations and I kind of just psych myself out. I don't know. And I kind of sit down to read after work and after doing whatever I have to do and I didn't just fall asleep. No books are really grabbing me and forcing me <laughs> to stay awake, um, but also to become committed to them. It's kind of a silly thing to complain about looking at, I have read like 60 books so far this year, but a lot have been on audio. Like, as I said, I live alone. So it's, <laughs> I will listen to audio. And it's lovely. So since you graduated, and it's been about six months now, your reading life has not been the source of comfort and joy and replenishment that it has so often been. And the books that you thought you'd love are just not hitting the chords that you thought they would right now. It sounds like you're not sure what to do. Exactly. As we are troubleshooting, exploring how you might move forward from the unwelcome place that you're in, what are you hoping to discover? What do you hope your reading life maybe could become or become again? I just really would love to recapture the reading magic that, yes, I felt as a kid huddled in library corners, reading everything I could get my hands on. I would love to fall in love with reading again. Yeah. And just recapture my love of reading and, and finding books that speak to me in this season of my life that I didn't expect would work for me as a a lifelong fantasy reader, I am very set in my ways and I rarely read contemporaries. And I'm like, is that the way? I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm flailing. I know I, I need to do something different, but I don't exactly know what I identify as a reader. Like I have... I don't know how many like book t-shirts. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like a reader anymore. Like, yes, I, I get the books in, but it kind of 
feels like I'm going through the motions with reading right now and I don't feel like myself. Well, we want you to feel like your readerly self again. So the genres that you have loved in the past, particularly fantasy, which sounds like it's Mm -hmm. your top of your list favorite, the reading experience has not been for you what it once was. I'm really intrigued by what you said, that the books that have stayed with me recently aren't my go-tos. They're kind of weird and quirky and dark. And you have some theories about what that means for the direction you might want to move in as you explore what your reading life can be in this, this new stage of your life. I have been surprised by a few books recently that I never thought I would actually like. I picked up on a whim When I choose my books on a whim, it's usually they're from the library. Um, You know, I scroll through the recent additions um, to the Libby catalog and I choose that. Obviously, it's very low stakes. Those are the ones I recently have been surprised by that makes me think like, oh, maybe I should read more of these. Like, who am I? (laughs) So a lot of those are kind of darker books. You know, I said in the submission format, I've always considered myself a highly sensitive reader, which thank you for uh, revealing that to me. Because I was like, why do I just like, all these people can read all these hard things. And I just, no, thank you. Like I've always stayed away, not only from contemporary reads, but even historical reads that deal with hard things, which I realize, especially as a, you know, American and looking into our history, that's uh, most of our history. And it definitely comes, you know, from a place of privilege to have that uh, viewpoint. So I picked up a book that deals with hard things. It's Parable of the Sower. And man, that was darkest for book club. It was hard to read through, but I didn't stop. And so that made me think, could I do other things I didn't think I could do? Like I I really though, I think it will stay a constant. I really do not like books that are emotionally manipulative, mm-hmm. um, that make you, you know, feel dread or anxious or like they're written to make you cry. It's just not natural and it's like well disingenuous, I think. Um, like if a book is you know, described as heart-wrenching. I'm like, oh God, no, thank you. (laughs) Okay. So you haven't had a total personality transplant as a reader. No, I don't think so. You do think that you want to push outside of your comfort zone and find books that work for this season of your life because you've never been in this place before. Exactly. And just, I feel like I need to be pushed out of my kind of rut. I don't think it's like a book slump, but just like (laughs) a slump. Adrian, I'd love to hear more about what specifically is working for you. And I wonder if that mm-hmm. doesn't lead us to the books that you brought today to share as ones you've loved. Yeah. So you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And then we will explore some titles that might be beyond the bounds of what you've read in the past that might be a good direction to move in in your reading future. So how did you choose these titles for today? So I chose books that are different from my usuals, the quirky books that have really stood out for me that I know I want to read more, like read likes of. And when you say quirky, I imagine what you mean is that they're out of character off your beaten path. Actually, yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear. Tell me about the first book you love. So it was Milkman by Anna Burns. It was long listed for the Booker Prize, which mm-hmm. I've read a couple of books on that prize list. And yeah, they're always like out of left field and I kind of like it. Such an unusual book. 
I picked it up on a whim, I think from Hoopla. It's hard to describe, but first you have no idea where you are when this story starts or, or even when you are. You meet the protagonist. She's only known as middle sister. And the uh, the guy she's seen is her maybe boyfriend. She just refers to him as maybe boyfriend throughout the entire story. And you'd think that would get annoying after a while, but I mean, you get used to it. And I listened to it. So you, you get the, the Irish accent. It was fantastic. So yes, it takes place in Ireland. Like that was very obvious from the start. But then you understand through the contextual clues that the setting is actually in Belfast. She uses the term no-go zones which, you know, from the context of the troubles you, you get, and it's in the 70s. I have since reading this, you know, read more about the troubles. I did have sort of a base knowledge, but the Republican terrorists are called renouncers of the state. The Protestants are called the opposite religion. And the title Milkman comes from one of these renouncers. There's this guy, the milkman, he drives in an unmarked milk van. Um, and he seems to be stalking middle sister and he's older and married and in a place where there's there's no privacy, rumors start. Because she's she's already viewed as kind of weird and as an outsider because, and this is what I really loved, she reads while walking. And like that becomes a major thing in her community. Like her brother-in-law is like, why do you read while walking? You're just like standing out. You're not conforming. It's so weird even to read um, in this setting. Um, for her community, and she just becomes, yeah, this object of, of speculation. She also becomes a target for the opposite religion. She, like, hears clicks when she walks while reading, uh, which distracts her from reading, and that's, you know, people, the opposite religion, taking pictures of her. It's, like, it's dark, it's claustrophobic, it's actually really funny, I think, and it's just so weird. You just follow her through through the end, you want to know what happens you know, not a mystery, but it, it just kept me listening. I, I needed to know what happened. And it's definitely not a book for everyone. But you once you get in the flow of it, you're, I just needed to know what happened. Adrian, this does sound like a long way off the books that you typically read. Like the style has been described as almost experimental. Um, mm -hmm. It's an interesting almost stream of consciousness. And yet this one really worked for you. I was as surprised as you. <laughs> what made you think that you wanted to give it a chance, knowing those things, knowing that it was atypical for you? Well, to be honest, uh, the cover is beautiful. It's a pink sunset, which plays into something that happens in the book, but also the setting, very strong sense of place. It literally could not have taken place anywhere else. I love learning about new cultures, of course, and I haven't actually been to Ireland, but I want to. And so, yeah, this just gave me a glimpse that, I mean, I could and I have read nonfiction about it, but it's just something special to read it through fiction. A lot of readers are intimidated by the Booker Prize nominees because they think they're going to be really like difficult or scholarly or challenging reads. But I don't think that's the case for Milkman. But it does have a very like different voice and style than you typically read. And I wonder if that was coincidental or if that was if that was fun, like if that was part of the appeal, settling into a whole different kind of a book. I completely agree. I never thought of myself as really reading to appreciate structure but i have liked a few like that like um in the dream house by carmen Maria machado not for the structure but just like the uniqueness that it brought to the story is just mm, like nothing i've ever read before since i am i'm needing to be pushed out of my you know self-induced rut maybe that's what i need and 
Adrian, tell me about another book you love. This was a book club pick for Fiction Matters. She Would Be King by Way Too Moore. That's a book I did not think I would like as much as I did because obviously the history of enslaved people in America is just it's just so rough. It involves like all of the triggers that I would normally like, you know, want to stay away from. It's just hard and it's dark. But the story is also about the founding of Liberia, which, of course, you heard, at least in my my history classes, about Liberia. But basically the American colonization, you know, during the Reconstruction era, that I guess one of the, the options for the newly freed people would be to send them back to Africa. So this group of white people called the American Colonization Society was like, well, let's take this land um, and just send everyone back. That would be just so easy. And then throughout this book, you learn that it really is not. Yes, the story is about the finding of Liberia, but there is an element of folklore. It's just so interesting to view these events from a historical perspective that yeah, I just knew nothing about. So the story follows three characters that all have special kind of supernatural abilities. The first is Gibessa, who is a woman um, shunned by her village in West Africa, like around where Liberia is now. They believe she's a witch. Um, next, there is Junde, who is raised on a plantation in Virginia. He's born under very unusual circumstances. And Norman Aragon, who is a child of a white British colonizer in Jamaica and a Jamaican woman who kind of has a supernatural ability she passes down to her son. The suspense is not only waiting for these characters to converge and meet, like you know it's going to happen, but also in experiencing who they really are, you know, besides being oppressed people. And then what they do once they they reach their destination is just very fascinating to find out. Each of their abilities is just so empowering for them through their powers to take agency um, for their own kind of destinies and their own outcomes. And yeah, I just really enjoyed and it stuck with me. And and because I like this one so much, it pushed me to read them. The Love Songs of W. E.B. Du Bois, which I also really liked, which I did not think I would. So yeah, that's why I chose that one. Yeah, I'm so glad that this book is leading you down a path to more books that you wouldn't have discovered had you not learned more about yourself as a reader. Listeners, if you were thinking She Would Be King is a book that you've heard on What Should I Read Next Before, you are right. We recommended that to Brenna and Ryan in episode 189, which Hmm. is called Our Favorite Genre is Chapter Books. Adrian, tell me what you chose to complete your favorites list. The next one is Matrix by Lauren Groff. Um, Yeah, this one, it just made me so invested in 12th century nuns, which is not something I'd ever (laughs) Not something you thought you'd say. (laughs) So it's actually about a real woman, Marie de France, um, who's a poet in King Henry II's court, but not much is known about her. So it kind of explores one of the theories about who she was, um, which is an abbess in this monastery. She's put there. She's like, they, no one knew what to do with her. She, yeah, it was an illegitimate sister of Henry II, this theory goes in the story. And she just takes charge of this monastery. She, she protects the women in that monastery from outside forces that, you know, patriarchy doesn't want to see nuns, especially succeeding. She kind of overcomes all of these preconceptions. She's tall. 
she's, you know, not, you know, conventionally attractive and she helps these women flourish even in such a restrictive society. I loved it because she has like visions um, which urge her into making her convent into a haven for women and almost like a bit of a fortress. And she just makes everyone into their best selves, even if it means not staying with the conventions and, and making enemies. And I don't know, I just like had to know if, you know, the men were going to invade the, the abbey. Like I just needed to know what happened. And it's just lovely meeting or reading about an empowered woman in a time when things were just so ugh, restrictive. Adrian, tell me about a book that wasn't right for you. Ugh, yeah. One Day in December by Josie Silver. I picked it up because I do love British history, but also I like reading about contemporary England. I've you know, been there three times. I love all the books and shows and movies set in England. So sometimes I do actually pick up contemporary reads. I do like um, Jenny Col some of Jenny Colgan's series. So I picked this one up. You know, it just seemed like a fun, light read. But no, I looked at my review on Goodreads and it says, I wanted to slap everyone. That was my review. It seemed like an interesting premise. The main character sees a boy through a bus window. It's like insta-love. She becomes obsessed. But then what follows is 10 years of heartbreak, fraught silences, longing looks, and miscommunication. And the man we're supposed to root for, her love interest, is just such like, a not great person. He's just so annoying and selfish and privileged. And it's like, why am I rooting for these people? Like, I don't have to like the characters in general, but man, I just don't like books that are driven by miscommunication. And <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you've found the plot frustrating instead of pulling you like through the book and like in the enjoyable way. They're just so destructive and because of their miscommunication, they just ruined people's lives around them. And it's just so pointless. You mentioned that you didn't want to root for them, but it sounds like you wish that, that it had been that kind of story. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's good to know. Because not, not every reader wants that or, or looks for that. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think I could read a Sally Rooney. I just, I just don't think so. I can't really comment on that because I haven't yet, not out of any principle stand, I just have <laughs> not gotten there. Adrian, what have you been reading lately? Yeah, so I recently read and finished Love in the Time of Cholera um, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which I did really enjoy, though it's not really a surprise since I loved 100 Years of Solitude. But I did actually, I kind of hated the main character at first. Um, he was unlikable. I thought he was just like a chauvinistic, not good person. But I did end up rooting for him in the end, so I was pleasantly surprised. Um, another I'm currently reading is Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. I was bullied into reading by two friends that loved it. And the last is Madam, a biography of Polly Adler, icon of the jazz age by Debbie Applegate. Learning about something I never thought I'd want to learn about. And also it is an immigrant story. She fled the, um, the destruction of her homeland, uh, white Russia you know, when the Soviets, Bolsheviks were taking control of Russia. So yeah, it's very interesting. All right, Adrian, let's take a look back over what we've talked about. Mm -hmm. You loved Milkman by Anna Burns, She Would Be King by Wyatt Moore, and Matrix by Lauren Groff. One Day in December by Josie Silver was not for you. 
sounded like you liked the writing, but the characters were not ones you were interested in like finding out what happened to them or wishing for a happy ending um, and turning the pages, hoping you'd be moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. You've been reading Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon, and Madam, the biography of Polly Adler, icon of the jazz age by Debbie Applegate. And what you're looking for in your reading life are books that are likely off your beaten path, books that are not the fantasy and cozy mysteries you've consistently, reliably gravitated for and loved over the years, books that may be a little bit um, weird for you and quirky and dark, books that might even be contemporary fiction. (laughs) But really, we're looking for books that will work for this season of life. Because you've done a lot of things, like you traveled around the world, you have a new job, you finished your graduate degree. You're a different person than you are when you first fell in love with reading. And it sounds like you're discovering what kind of books suit your not necessarily changed. That might be a scary word, I imagine, because you have (laughs) such a fond history with books and with literature, but your evolving sense of self as a reader. Beautifully put. (laughs) Adrian, you've referenced several times that contemporary fiction has not been for you in the past, but now you're you're reconstructing your sense of self as a reader yes. and you think maybe this also means contemporaries. So I know. we've never really talked about why though. Are you able to put your finger on what it is that has caused you to in the past articulate the fact that like contemporary is just not your jam? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. So I have picked up contemporaries like um the bookish life of Nina Hill. Like if it has like bookish in the title, I'm like, okay, I can handle this. Or Seven Days in June I read last summer and I really liked because it had the paranormal author aspect. So if it's something it's just something new and interesting, like that fits like my my interests like that, I'm like, okay, I can give this a shot. Like any domestic suspense or thrillers like taking place in such like a kind of claustrophobic, like in a house. Like, I feel like so much of contemporaries like that. I'm just, oh, no, thank you. If, you know, a place I know, I'm just kind of not interested unless, you know, it's just a, a place I love, um, like London. I just like learning new things. And I feel like with her contemporaries, I just don't get that. But obviously, that could just be a block I've put there since I'm stubborn. So <laughs> I am willing to have my mind changed. It almost sounds as though you're talking about contemporary fiction as its own category. And mm-hmm. it is in a sense, you can hear me thinking this out. Cause I'm, I'm not, I don't quite have the words. Um, I wonder if when you choose contemporary novels, you're selecting them with the level of care that you select backlist with. That is a really good point. I guess I do. If I do choose or look at contemporaries as possibilities, it's because they're popular. Here's something we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to find you a book with a contemporary setting that hopefully has some of the elements you've loved Mm -hmm. in your backlist selections and see, because I do think there's a big difference between, and this is not, this is not a value judgment. This is an observation about the kind of work and what the author is trying to accomplish with the work. So there's a big difference between let's say one day in December, which wasn't for you. And okay, let's take a, contemporary enough title from an author that you've loved and say Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. Those are both books with contemporary settings. And yet they're not at all trying to do the same thing. They don't feel the same. The reading experience is not intended 
to be the same. And so I'd love for you to try something new with a more contemporary setting. I'm just noticing that I'm not sure that it's the contemporary aspect that's killing your enjoyment of those books. I I think there might be more to it than that. I mean, I fully acknowledge it's probably in my head. (laughs) (laughs) But like beliefs we have about our reading lives Uh in our heads, like really do impact what we choose to pick up. Mm -hmm. We're in summer reading guide season. And I feel like I always have to tell readers explicitly, like, I want you to read through all the books in the guide. Not because I think it's so important that they put eyes on everything that like I selected. It doesn't really matter who selects it, but there's a real, even though there's a real beauty in flipping straight to like literary thrillers or, you know, some such category where, you know, like, oh, I love that kind of book. If you don't even consider reading whole sections of the bookstore because of the label at the top, then you're going to miss out on some really life-changing reading experiences. And I don't want you to miss out on that. While I do feel called out, I totally acknowledge that is correct. (laughs) I'm not trying to call you out. I'm trying to welcome you into the next stage of your reading. No, but that's the whole point of this, right? I need help. How do I choose this whole brand new, like, new world of of fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say, come on in, the water's fine. And I feel like you're like, no, that water is frigid. Like, I'm I'm just going to stay right here on the edge. Thank you. I I just want to welcome you in. Okay. So we are looking for... This is really fun for me. It might be a little scary for you because (laughs) you want to push outside your comfort zone, which means you get to enjoy trying new things. And while we definitely want to notice what has really worked for you Mm -hmm. and um, strive to get that same kind of reading experience, we also want you to try a variety of reading experiences Mm -hmm. and see how they fit right now. Is that me? And how does that inform what I want to read next? Oh, something else you described is that you you wanted um, harder books that are not in your normal wheelhouse. And while I don't think that any of the books that you read are like, I couldn't possibly read it without a pen and an encyclopedia handy. Not oh, like anybody yeah, reads no. with an encyclopedia these days. They are books that require focused reading. No, it requires me to focus and not, you know, fall asleep. <laughs> but it makes me want to focus because it's interesting or I need to know what happens. Yeah. So here's what I'm noticing. You like books that take you deep into people's lives, that show you lives that you do not know and would have no experience of were it not for the power of the novel to take you there. You've enjoyed books that have been told in interesting ways. Um, You've enjoyed being surprised. Like you didn't think you wanted to read about, well, you knew you wanted to read about 1970s, probably Belfast, but the city isn't actually named. Um, You didn't know you wanted to go to medieval France why Etienne Moore told you the story of Liberia, you didn't necessarily know, like, that is what I am seeking out, but you were delighted to be there. So if we visited different places in space and time, if we had some stories where you got to know characters really well over a span of time. Oh, and I'm also noticed that you have chosen stories that put women and women's stories Mm -hmm. front and center and that directly confront issues that are relevant in all the times and places these stories took place, but are also relevant in in the world we live in now. These are the kinds of books that we're looking for. And we are explicitly trying to give you some off your beaten path selections. Now, to some readers, this is not off your beaten path. This is your comfort zone. But that's not true for you, Adrian. Does that sound terrifying? Are you ready to do this? 
I mean, slightly, but is what I signed up for. So I am excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Okay, first, a 2020 release. Not brand new, but not mm-hmm. old. It's called A Girl is a Body of Water. It's by Jennifer Nansibuga McCumby. Is this a book you know? I've heard of it. I don't know what it's about. All right. Well, I think that sounds like just the right amount of information to begin yes. with. Um, ooh, uh, no, hang on. Um, so McCumbie is a Ugandan novelist. She lives in the UK now. Actually, in the UK, this book is called The First Woman, which does an interesting, it, it plays with the title of her first novel. This is her second. But I really like how this book echoes some of the elements and themes that you've enjoyed with She Would Be King and with Matrix. So this is about a young girl and her name is Kirabu. And she's growing mm-hmm. up in a small village in Uganda. And everything is going swimmingly for her, even though her mother has always been absent. Her father is away in the city, but she is loved and cared for and happy. But then when she's 12, she suddenly develops a desire to find out what what happened to her mother. Where is her mother? And at the same time, she's become distressed that she seems to have two selves. When she is worked up, she feels like she's flying out of her body. And she is suddenly concerned, like, maybe this is connected to why her mom is gone. Like, maybe there are two of me, a good self and a bad self. And this can't be a good thing. And ah, what do I do? And I will interject here that McCombie has said that when asked the question, is this literal? Is this figurative? She has said that she won't deprive you, the reader, Adrian, of the pleasure of puzzling over that question for yourself. I do like that. But this young girl, Kirabu, she finds the village witch and the witch is ready to help her with her query. But the witch has her own agenda, as witches do, and then things mm-hmm. get complicated. But this has so many elements that you have enjoyed and some that you haven't read, but I think you might enjoy exploring. So this is a coming of age story. It's literary fiction. It has that taste, more than a taste, I would say, of magical realism. And something else I really like about this story is like out of the gate, you are plunged right into the world of Kirabu and her plight and her village. It also contains those folkloric elements that you have so Mm. enjoyed with more contemporary ideas about feminism that appear in all of your works. I want to tell you about the title a little bit. Why is it called A Girl is a Body of Water? And the reason has to do with ancient beliefs about how women could not share land wealth. They say that Mm. the very first woman rose out of the sea while the first man emerged from earth. But both women and the sea were baffling because water has no shape. It's inconsistent. It cannot be tamed. It can flow anywhere. You can't draw borders on the ocean. But land belonged with men. But the water that you cannot draw borders on, well, that is what it means to be a woman. A girl is a body of water. And I think you'll appreciate how both the characters that you get to know really, really well and more minor, but nevertheless important characters in the village community are both richly portrayed, even though Kiribu is wrestling through a hard question. It's a really joyful novel. And I think you may appreciate that as well. How does that sound? You had me at witches. Um, (laughs) I am there. I do love community stories, especially where it's not all doom and gloom. So I'm very excited about this. Because the next book I wanted to tell you about was The Dance Tree by Karen Millwood Hargrave. And that's her new novel. 
I don't believe this is available yet in the US, but is out in the UK. So the dance tree, this is really interesting because it's inspired by two historic events. Um, One involves a meteor, but the other involves the world's largest ever outbreak of choreomania, the mysterious dancing plagues that swept across Europe in the 16th century and inspired this novel. And actually, Hargrave commented that like the day after her book came out in the UK, the new Florence and the Machine album came out that Mm. deals with the same theme. So she's like, choreomania, (laughs) everything old is new again. So she took part of the dance tree story from this actual historic event in Europe between the 14th and 17th centuries. Women would dance themselves to exhaustion to the point that they would actually die. And yet at the same time, Hargrave thought this was such a pure expression of body autonomy, of ecstasy, and of joy. But also that was really dangerous because in the 1500s, body autonomy, ecstasy, Mm -hmm. and joy were not okay things for women to have or pursue. So in this novel, we meet a woman named Lisbeth who lives on a farm. The farm's primary source of income is through beehives. So that's really interesting and fun to read about on the page. And she lives there with her husband and her mother-in-law who does not like her very much. Lisbeth would love to be a mother, but it's not happening for her and her husband. She's had multiple miscarriages. So something she's done to process her grief and honor her lost children is designated a linden tree on the property as her dance tree. And that's where she goes to remember the babies that she's lost. And that's where she goes to seek solace. Something else that happens in the story is her sister-in-law returns and she's been in exile for seven years. Lisbeth doesn't know why. She's never met her sister-in-law before she was gone when she married her husband. But she spent seven years at a monastery and now she's back and the atmosphere and the family changes. And Lisbeth has all kinds of questions. And it's very apparent to the reader early that Agneth sinned greatly by falling in love with a woman, but nobody's talking about it. And that's not apparent Mm -hmm. to Lisbeth for some time. But you as the reader know that. But throughout the story, you see all these vignettes about the women and the community and why they dance and what it means to them and why they need to seek solace and what is it they're processing and why do they need to find some outlet for joy that they can't have anywhere else. I like this for you because this is historical fiction. It's not a fantasy novel, but it does feel like it has a bit of almost magic, practical magic about it. Well, I do love practical magic. So, All right, Adrian, kind of weird and quirky and dark. That's what we're going for. Have you read Gabrielle Zevin in the past? Because I want to tell you about her new one. The name sounds familiar. Um, she wrote The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery. I own that. I have not read it yet. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I might tell you to start there. It's lots of fun. This came out like almost 10 years ago now. But you did say that you love books about books and with bookstore settings and things like that. And this is about a bookstore owner who owns a failing independent bookstore on this island off the coast of Massachusetts. And he's depressed because his wife has died. He's isolated and mad at the world, pretty crabby about the books that he does and doesn't allow in his bookstores. And do you know what he has, Adrian, is old-fashioned tastes in books. And maybe you might have a bit of a kindred spirit. Although I think he abhors magical realism and you kind of ah, like it. So yeah, I, yeah. I do kind um, of like not, it. Yeah. I'm not accusing you of being a favorite <laughs> Being a, a grumpy, grumpy man. But he, <laughs> yeah, but he's got a always looks on the bright side book rep who was assigned to his store and they get to know each other and everything changes and it's a lot of fun. Hard things do happen in this book. I think it's often described as feel-good fiction. And so when the book takes turns into the tragic, 
uh, a lot of readers feel blindsided. So I want you to know that okay. you may have ideas about what is here that don't quite suit the story. So you haven't read Gabrielle Zevin before, so you don't have expectations going into her new book, which I think is going to surprise a lot of readers, but I hope to like them as well. And you've probably heard of this, listeners, by the time this episode airs, because the Minimalist Summer Reading Guide is out and has been, and I included this. We're in the time machine and Adrian doesn't know that yet, but <laughs> her new book is coming out July 12th and it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And yes, that title is from Shakespeare. This is going to feel like such a surprise to those who do know and love her for the storied life of A.J. Fickery and Young Jane Young, because this is a story about video games. But it's about video games in the same way that like Station Eleven is about comic books. While that is in the story, it is not the story. And I feel like I'm apologizing for the book and it doesn't need anyone to apologize for it. But I will say that the closest I've gotten to video games in the past 20 years is a little bit of Nintendo Switch, Animal Planet Farm. Animal Crossing. Yes, that's the closest <laughs> that I've gotten to video games oh. is playing a little bit of Animal Crossing with my kids. This is the kind of book where you go, Gabrielle Zevin, how did you come up with this? Like what in the world? Well, what it is, is a story of two childhood friends. Their names are Sam and Sadie. They meet in a hospital game room in 1986. I was originally thinking this could be your contemporary pick, Adrian, but it's actually, it's not happening right now. Like the, the present day storyline in the novel is set about 20 years ago, though we do get a little more into the future. But they meet in this hospital game room in 1986 and they come from completely different worlds, but bond immediately over video games. Sadie lives in a wealthy Jewish enclave of Los Angeles and Sam is growing up in Koreatown with his grandparents because his mom died not that long ago. And that's why he's in the hospital tangentially. But his grandparents own a pizza place in Koreatown and he's growing up with them. So even though they come from completely different worlds, Sadie's struggling to like beat a level in a game and Sam shows her how to do it. And they're, they're young enough for like, that's all, they're friends for life. Eight years later, they're both at different schools in Boston, but they reunite and they still have that love for video games and they bootstrap a video game that becomes an unexpected blockbuster, which secures their future as sought after game designers, but just brings upheaval into their personal lives and their relationship. Because what you'll see in this book is that ultimately like Sam and Sadie, though they may pursue other relationships are the loves of each other's lives. And it's a friendship story that's written as a family saga. And we don't see a friendship saga like that so much. There's so much here. Like it's about art and creativity and love and belonging and betrayal and collaboration and intimacy. There's lots about identity and belonging. And there's lots of video games. And some of the little details here are just so much fun. Like when she's in college, Sadie goes through this period of creating video games that are really transgressive. And one of the things she creates is a shooter game that's about poetry. Your success in the game depends on your knowledge of Emily Dickinson. Oh. And there's like some funny exchanges. Like one character says, that is the weirdest poetry video game I've ever played. And his friend is like, have you played other poetry video <laughs> I was games? Gonna say, I was like, is that a thing, baby? I should play them? <laughs> 
I do think you could read this as an example of contemporary fiction. It's not set right now, but it's set and, you know, see how it works for you. If the story doesn't have some things you might be wanting to find, not realizing that you could find it in contemporary fiction. Well, yeah, like when you first said video games, I was like, ooh, ooh, that's like too modern of a setting. But I mean, I did really like um, We Write Upon Sticks, which is set in the 80s and Friendship Saga and Poetry in Koreatown. That sounds like an interesting place to read about. Zevin has discussed in interviews how her mother is Korean and her father is a Russian Jew. And that her unusual family has really informed her worldview and the kind of things she wants to write about and the kind of stories she wants to tell. I will pre-order it. And no matter what you think, you have learned something about the book, but importantly, more importantly, I think here, about yourself as a reader. I know, right? I wish, you know, how some stories now are, are including like um, trigger warnings at the front, but like positive ones, like, yes, I want to read about a friendship saga. I wish that could be like noted. <laughs> now, we are different readers, but I will say that this is the friendship saga. I didn't know I was desperate for somebody to write. Okay, Adrian. Of the books we talked about today, they were A Girl is a Body of Water by Jennifer Nansubuga McCombie, The Dance Tree by Kieran Millwood Hargrave, mm-hmm. and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Of the books we talked about today, what do you think you'll pick up next? Well, I'm definitely the most drawn to A Girl is a Body of Water set in like a new place for me. <laughs> it involves witches. <laughs> like you got me there. I will probably go to Tattered Cover this coming weekend and get that. But I will go ahead and order from Waterstones a dancing tree because it has a beautiful cover. And yeah, pre-order tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I'm excited for all of them. And Adrian, how are you feeling about yourself as a reader right now? I'm more hopeful. I think this is the shove that I needed to get out of my bit of a rut and to just change my perspective on reading in general. Like it doesn't have to be a high pressure situation. I don't, I don't have to like what everyone else likes. I just really appreciate your insights and your recommendations, Anne. Well, Adrian, I'm hopeful for you too. Thanks so much for talking <laughs> books with me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Adrienne, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. We've shared Adrienne's Instagram link, as well as the full list of titles we discussed today over at our show notes page at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 339. Readers, as podcasters, reviews are our love language. Leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or star your favorite episode on Overcast. Your reviews bring a smile to our faces and help other listeners discover our show. Follow us on Instagram for more reading inspiration. We are there at What Should I Read Next? And I'm there too at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. We'd love to see what you're reading that you learned about on our show. So be sure to tag us in your posts and stories. Grab our weekly newsletter at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. And make sure you're following along in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a fun one coming up. Tune in next week when I'll be talking with an author who recent guest Rebecca Freeman picked as her favorite audiobook narrator. I know some of you already know who that is. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with scripts by Hollywood Kachevsky and sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Roca said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.